Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle inevitably your body claws back to the start point. So this is why we typically see a U-shape or V-shape response with weight loss programs, dieting programs. Your body's going into the shutdown mode. And as you mentioned, there are eight well-researched biological pathways. Um, and this is just one of them. This is just one of these clever wiring systems, physiological responses that's taking place within the body when you lose weight. So basically what I'm saying is, sadly, and what the dieting industry won't tell you, is that you are doomed for failure the minute you start this diet because your metabolism or your metabolic rate is going to lower and it's going to lower in order to climb back to its start point because that's what it's, it thinks is needed in order to survive. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of chatting to Dr. Nick Fuller, a leading obesity researcher in Australia with over a decade of experience. And he brings together a diverse set of skills, having held positions in both the industry and academic sectors. His current position is commercial and industry program leader within the Charles Perkins Center at the University of Sydney and involves working with government and industry to identify and develop cost-effective treatments for obesity and related physical and mental health disorders. I really like Nick's work because it's resulted in policy change in the field of obesity and metabolic disease. Plus, his research has been published in two of the top three ranked medical journals, The Lancet and JAMA, with huge impact factors as well. The Interval Weight Loss Program, which is something we get into a little bit later, was selected for the prestigious Incubate Program at the University of Sydney and was awarded the University of Sydney's Genesis Prize and received multiple awards for its research impact in the general population. We have a very pragmatic conversation about compassionate weight loss and how better understanding of the biological mechanisms behind obesity will help you, the listener, and the countless millions of other people across the world better understand why it's not willpower 
that is resulting in lots of people failing on their weight loss journey. It is actually how our bodies are designed. We talk about the homeostatic regulation of body weight as occurring centrally in the brain as well as peripherally. We go into uh, uh, briefly about the anorexogenic and orexogenic hormones that are released from the brain and from fat tissues as well as other organs. The influence of hedonic hormones, see your dopamine stores, and, and, and actually some of Nick's research involves looking at functional MRIs and looking at the release of these uh, addictive hormones and why food addiction is a real thing. We also talk about how weight loss actually brings about changes to energy stories at storage and how your body partitions fuel. We talk about the responsiveness to food reward with de decreased control of food intake that's basically the impairment of your body's ability to sense positive energy balance following weight loss what this basically means is when you lose weight you lose the marker to actually determine how satiated you are because your body is going to starvation mode and it will overeat and that's what leads to this classical u-shaped curve of weight loss weight regain and over regain as well um I, I really did like this conversation which is it's super empathic it's clear that dr nick has got a lot of understanding of both the physiological mechanisms behind obesity but the knock-on effects on psychological well-being as well and the interval weight loss program sounds like a very sensible and sustainable weight loss program that is embedded in science and the and the years of research that himself and, and the team have put into this as well um, i really do hope you enjoy listening to this and like i said again these series of podcasts are conducted with as much compassion and empathy as possible but i do think we need to give people the tools to understand how our bodies work such that they can achieve weight loss if appropriate and lead healthier and happier lives. I'll leave it as that. Please do check out the show notes on thedoctorskitchen.com. You'll find out a lot more about the research plus some of the um, academic studies that we've discussed on, on the podcast today in a bit more detail there. And uh, I hope you enjoy this chat. Nick, thank you so much for being on the podcast, uh, mate. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, it's great to be on, Dr. Rupi. Uh, greetings from the land down under. Also, <laughs> also one of your own homeland. So looking forward to catching up when you come back to Australia. I know, I know. I miss it, you know. We're just talking about how uh, I'm an early riser over here in the UK and I'm seeing like a bit of an outsider. But in Sydney, the coffee houses are packed by like six o'clock in the morning. Everyone's coming back or going out to a workout. It's, uh, it's such a lovely atmosphere. Yeah, it's a lot different. It's, um, everyone's certainly got the, the coffee fix very early, probably three or four cuppers by the time nine, <laughs> by the time nine hits. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's a big part of our culture, getting outdoors, uh, particularly where I'm lucky enough to live close to, to the beaches. Um, but yeah, we will be catching up when you're back. Definitely, definitely, mate. Well, let's, uh, obviously we're going to be talking about um, the mechanisms behind uh, body weight regulation and the kind of work you're doing, helping patients achieve sustainable weight loss. But I'm, I'm fascinated to know a bit of bit more about 
how you got into this field yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to put it into context, uh, I work at the University of Sydney and Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. Uh, we have a facility called Charles Perkins Centre named after Charlie Perkins. Uh, and basically we are running Australia's largest obesity or weight management service. And what I mean by that is uh, we're seeing the largest volume of patients every year, uh, both in our hospital clinics, but also in our research programs. So uh, with the research programs, we're, we're you know, working with government and industry, um, trialing and testing different products, lifestyle programs, devices, drugs, surgery, uh, to paint a better picture of what weight management should look like to help people um, you know, that are struggling with their weight. Because when we look at the stats, we all know um, how, how bad it actually is and that this obesity epidemic is not going away. Um, if anything, the, the trend is, is, is going up, the number of people that are struggling with their weight uh, in Australia um, and also, you know, a lot of these other countries like uh, England, the UK, US uh, are seeing roughly two in three people with a little bit of extra weight around sort of that mid-drift waistline uh, it's a qu quite, you know, scary statistic. And, and what that means is um, when you carry the extra, extra weight, you're going to be at increased risk of other metabolic disorders or diseases like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, heart disease, for example. So, yeah, my work is, um, you know, as a clinical or clinician um, and researcher, helping people on their weight loss journey and, importantly, um, which I hope we can educate a lot of the listeners through today's chat uh, around the, the diet, well, I guess dangers of dieting and why some of these programs and diets that we're following are actually doing more harm than good. Mm. Uh, before working in this clinical environment, I, I was actually in a uh, corporate sector and giving the advice to a lot of these people that we put through uh, these weight loss shows. It was something that, you know, at the time I was, not um, particularly proud of. I knew what we were doing was for visual effects and that these people were going to be worse off long-term, which then drove me back into an academic and clinical setting so I could actually research what's happening within a person's body when they lose weight because sure enough, they're out there losing weight. That's the easy part, but the, the nature or the fact is that they're actually regaining that weight and they're ending up um, stacking on more weight than, uh, than they lost and um, it's, it's much more complicated than people think. Obesity is a science and there's a lot of education um, that, that is needed in this space so that people can be uh, empowered to regain control of their health and weight. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I appreciate the honesty as well about how your advice has changed over the years. And I think we're all sort of guilty of um, perhaps giving or having uh, certain ideas about weight and how easy it is to lose weight if you just have that motivation um, throughout the number of years. And, it, and it's great that we can all educate ourselves in this. Just to give us a, 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 a scale of the obesity issue in Australia, um, what, what does that look like a, across the country? Because you guys have got a smaller population than the UK, but across a landmass that's similar to uh, America. Yeah, absolutely. We do have a very small population, um, mid-20 million. Uh, but when you, you look at the sort of leading countries in terms of uh, prevalence of overweight and obesity, ours is, is yeah, a daunting sort of 67% or two in three people that are struggling 
We're seeing that prevalence higher in lower socioeconomic groups um, throughout the country. But, yeah, what is really also of great worry is that more of the people that had overweight or were clinically diagnosed as overweight are now in that obesity range. So they're moving along that spectrum. And the other scary thing is that a lot of people are actually dieting themselves into an overweight range. So they start off at, at this maybe the upper end of what we clinically diagnose as, as, as normal um, weight range by BMI, body mass index. And then that societal pressure um, to conform to body images that really aren't healthy and normal pushes them into that dieting industry and they go through this never-ending cycle and actually drive up their set point or their weight over time. And look, a lot of the measures that we've got in place aren't actually helping. There's a lot more that needs to be done, not only here, but across the globe. Yeah, I th- you know, I think those statistics are really going to be um, shocking for a lot of people in the UK because I think over here we have this idea of the Australians being he- you know, fit and healthy and going outside on the beach and stuff. And I remember that was certainly my impression when I first came to the country seven years ago. And I was shocked at the statistics back then. It feels like it, it might be creeping upwards as well. And the other point about how when you're perhaps at the upper end of the spectrum in terms of weight and then you go into a dieting sort of um, culture or you know program with good intentions and then you actually end up putting on more weight and 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 getting to a cycle where you can't lose that weight. I mean that that's pretty scary. And I'm glad we we are talking about that. Um, let's let's go into how we actually regulate weight um, in our, in our bodies because this is quite a complicated process. You shared a few papers with me that I'm going to put on the show notes as well. Um, but but perhaps we could go through exactly what drives obesity. Yeah, I guess. Um you know, if we think about that prevalence of overweight and obesity, uh, before the 1970s, most of the population within were in a healthy weight range. Um, now when we walk around and, and in Australia, two in three, you know, have that weight problem. So you, you wind back the clock a few decades uh, before the 1970s and a very clever part of the brain called the hypothalamus was very good at regulating our body weight. We get signals sent from our stomach um, and our gastrointestinal tract acting on our brain, telling us when and when we shouldn't eat. Now, that worked perfectly fine. But then during the 1970s, 1980s, that's when we did see this evolution uh, into what is now the modern-day environment or obesogenic environment. Uh, food or fast food, processed food is on every corner of every block. We use motor vehicles to get everywhere from A to B. We use devices and technology all day and all night, which keep us awake at night. So really what has happened is, um, yeah, we've seen this, this, I guess, a boom of the modern-day obesogenic environment and evolution of that environment. Um, so now the homeostatic regulation of our body weight is not actually working because what happens is the hedonic or reward pathway overrides it. So you walk down... Uh, the street and you see your favorite favorite bakery or fast food restaurant and your brain lights up you get dopamine release which is the learning chemical telling you to go back to get more of it because last time you ate it it made you feel good at least at the time you ate it maybe not afterwards and that's the reason why when you sit down at the dinner table you can always say yes to the dessert 
It's the hedonic or reward pathway kicking in saying, yes, I can fit that in, even though your energy stores are full. So remember, these foods weren't in existence like they are today. And as a result, we kept within a normal healthy weight range. That homeostatic regulation of our body weight works. Now the 1970s, 1980s, environment changes, hedonic pathways creeping in. We have a hard time saying no to our favorite foods, even though our energy stores are full. And then in combination with that, we're not moving, we're not getting good sleep, and it results in poor lifestyle changes. So consequently, since that time period, we've seen a rough 0.5 to 1 kilo increase in our weight every year. And over the course of 10 years, you know, that can quickly result in the 5 or 10 kilo increase. It could be due to a change in your career, taking on a new job, starting a family, whatever it might be. And then what do you do? And particularly women, you react by dieting. You sign up to the latest and greatest diet, which has been, you know, self-validated by a social media sensation or a big name celebrity pushing it onto their followers and you follow it. Um, but as we'll get into, it's, it's actually um, very hard to succeed on your long-term journey. And that's because there are other factors um, that kick into gear and take, I guess, we yeah, have, have a much bigger contributor to uh, what is going on long-term. So, yeah, I guess, you know, we've evolved to this point now where weight has increased, we've got out of control, we can't say no to our favourite foods. We continually react by dieting. We do it up to five times every year. So there's certain polls and the UK are very good at doing this, these dieting polls, but people are doing anywhere between sort of two and five diets every year, about 60 diets by the age of 45 and spending about 30 years of their life dieting. So in summary, most of these diets are actually contributing to the problem they proclaim to solve. And that means that it's accelerating your weight gain. Um, and there is actually another great paper uh, which I can send through to you, but it looks at twin, a, a large data set of, of twins, uh, 4,000 in total. And basically they followed them up over 25 years and they showed that the twin that had been dieting or intentionally losing weight over their lifetime was always heavier than the one that hadn't. So independent of genetic factors, weight was actually driving up their weight over time. Wow. Wow. And it, we, we can definitely get into that um, when we talk about the impact of weight. But, uh, you know, I think you've laid out the picture there really well, because evolutionarily, we are geared to protect against weight loss more than weight gain. And I think when you eloquently describe that change in our modern environment, it's no wonder that we are putting on weight as a population. And, you know, I am definitely in that camp where I struggle to say no to dessert. Like we have a running joke actually with my sister about how we'll go out for a family meal whenever that was <laughs> years ago now. Um, and there's always space for dessert, even though we're absolutely stuffed. Um, and I have to really struggle to say no, but and I, and I usually end up having it. Um, and the head, you know, it's that hedonic influence. You know, when, it, when it comes to dopamine um, and those reward pathways, um, uh, what what actually goes on in our brain? Because we've got functional MRIs now, so we can actually see what lights up when people when people eat. What, what what impact is that having on people who perhaps don't fit into that overweight category versus those who do? Yeah, this is a, another fascinating part of of research we do as well. You can measure brain activity, as you said, um, and you know in uh, patients, participants that are coming through our clinics. 
in essence, they're really guinea pigs. Sure, they're getting state-of-the-art care, uh, health care, but we're also analysing and, and probing them and getting all sorts of samples of them, off them as they go along their journey. So that might be measuring the metabolism. It might be taking bloods to see what's happening to their appetite hormones, but it could also be measuring their brain activity. So uh, someone that's in the normal healthy weight range, remember very few people actually tick that box sadly these days. Um, they're typically seeking out lower fat foods, uh, lower sugar foods. But when someone does develop um, a weight issue or, or clinically diagnosed as overweight or having obesity, you'd see a preference um, to more high fat foods. Now, the other worrying thing is that as they lose weight, you see a preference towards high fat and high sugar foods so that they go and seek out all these high calorie nutrient dense foods, which add more energy, which help you stack the weight back on. Um, but yes, you do see a change in brain activity. You see um, this heightened response in that reward pathway. So you go and reach for more of those foods because like you said, it's in order to protect your set point. Our body is so good at protecting against weight loss. Unfortunately, it's not as good as protecting at protecting against weight gain. It still does a pretty remarkable job. I mean, if you think about it, day to day, we don't eat the same foods. One day you might go and gorge and have a pizza and have a few beers or whatever it might be. The next day you're eating your salads and your greens. But really, your weight is, you know, it's fluctuating based predominantly on, on um, variation in water, body, body water content. It's staying at that set point. And, you know, for, for yourself, Dr. Rupi, it could be you know, the 100. For me, it could be the 120. For Pauline, it could be 190 and, and pull down the road 60. But that's that weight you will always protect. And that's the weight that we're sort of evolved um, to defend. So, unfortunately, it does a very good job at protecting um, itself. And when you lose weight, this is what's really going on. It's this evolutionary desire or evolutionary propensity to actually regain the weight you lost. And it's in order to survive. It's in order to procreate because during our time as ancestors, when we're hunter-gathering for food, it wasn't always available. We would go very long periods without it. When it was available, we would then gorge. We'd seek out those high sugar, high fat foods and we would store it. And then when food wasn't available, our body was very good at shutting down. So we could hold on to its weight, protect its set point, and like I just said, allow you to survive, allow you to procreate. So then you put basically our ancestors' genes in the modern-day environment. You've got this evolutionary mismatch. Like I also mentioned, we can't say no to our favourite foods. We keep going to dinner, having the desserts. We do it at home. Um, and as a result, the weight starts to go up over time. Our body is just not designed to be putting these energy-dense, low-nutritious foods into our body every day. You can have them and they play a role. Food is to be enjoyed, but they're just not the everyday foods, which is what they've become um, in, in, you know, 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, I imagine there is a degree of variation between different uh, people and backgrounds, right? So Australia has a large Aboriginal community that have largely unchanged their um uh, what, what they eat for for you know thousands of years, and they are particularly vulnerable 
to the changes in the modern day environment, whether it be alcohol or the refined sugars as well. Is that something that you, you see in your clinic? Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a very good point. I mean, um, they are extremely vulnerable. And um, then what we end up seeing is, is much poorer health outcomes with these population groups. So there's a lot of work to be done there with certain community groups um, and our Indigenous population. And, you know, not only equipping them with the education, but also the support tools, um, because you do see this vast disparity in, in not only prevalence of overweight and obesity, but other health outcomes, and that could be related to um, different, you know, social factors in, in our life. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you sent over this paper that I, I've come across, I believe, before during my master's in nutrition. I, I love going into the um, physiological responses and, and their biological protections for weight loss. And there are eight different well-researched re, well processes, but obviously we don't have time to go through every one. And if people are interested, I'll, I'll definitely link that to the show notes. Um, but I wanted to speak specifically about energy, energy expenditure. Um, so the total energy expenditure and, and how we calculate that and, and how that's related to um, the, the, the weight gain that we're seeing. I mean, you spoke about it before about, you know, how we've become a bit more sedentary. Uh, but I wonder if we can go to a bit more detail about the, the, that equation that, that gets uh, that used quite a bit. Yeah, this is a fascinating one. And, and this sort of stems from a lot of my earlier work uh, when I was working behind the scenes on, on these TV shows. Uh, basically, if everyone thinks about their body and it being an engine, that engine has a motor and that motor can be referred to as your metabolic rate or your metabolism, how long, how quickly it's ticking along every day. So for some people, it's going to be revving along, um, particularly those that have high muscle mass to body fat ratios, but then other people that have higher body fat to muscle ratios are going to have slower metabolisms because muscle is met more metabolic act more metabolically active which means you burn more energy at rest but what the the real fascinating part about a metabolism is that sure it's the the number of calories you're burning at rest but when you go and lose weight you're losing body mass so you're losing some fat you're also losing some muscle and we can account for that. We, we know that your metabolism is going to go down because you have less body mass. Less, you have less uh, stores to burn. Now, we can account for that as scientists, but what we also find is that there's a further 15% decrease in metabolism that we can't account for, that we have really no idea as to why this is happening. Now, a really good example, tying it back to the TV show, um, is the biggest loser. Everyone knows this. Um, it's, it's hit you know, most countries throughout the globe. And a very clever scientist by the name of um, Dr. Kevin Hall followed up the contestants from this show. And at the start of the show, they had a metabolism or a, a metabolic rate. Their engine was revving along at about 2,600 calories per day. They then lost a significant amount of weight and their metabolism went down to about 2,000 calories per day. He then followed them up six years later, and despite the fact that most of them had regained the weight, their metabolisms had not recovered. Had not recovered. It was at 1,900 calories. It was actually less than what it was when they lost the weight. So not only did they see the decrease in metabolism, but they had a further decrease by about 
And then even after they regain the weight, their metabolism or metabolic rate stayed low. And why? People might be thinking, why, why, why? Well, remember, this is because this is our evolutionary desire to survive, to protect our set weight. It doesn't know any better. It is shutting down in order to survive and procreate. So what you're seeing is this reduction in metabolic rate, but you're seeing a reduction by 15% more than what you should, which means you're going to burn less calories at rest. You're just fighting the weight loss. Inevitably, your body claws back to the start point. So this is why we typically see a U-shape or V-shape response with weight loss programs, dieting programs. Your body's going into this shutdown mode. And as you mentioned, there are eight well-researched biological pathways. Um, and this is just one of them. This is just one of these clever wiring systems, physiological responses that's taking place within the body when you lose weight. So basically what I'm saying is, sadly, and what the dieting industry won't tell you, is that you are doomed for failure the minute you start this diet because your metabolism or your metabolic rate is going to lower. And it's going to lower in order to climb back to its start point because that's what it's, it thinks is needed in order to survive. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think there are so many people listening to this who can probably resonate with that typical story of starting a diet, having some fantastic results, feeling super motivated, falling off the wagon when it came comes to eating well every day, plateauing, and then seeing that weight come right back up. And that one physiological mechanism of which there are many, like you've just mentioned there, is an explanation as to how and why that happens. And I think, you know, b before people sort of um, uh, get too despondent about why their body might be different, I think it's quite comforting to know that this is our biology and this is almost going to happen if you enter into a short-term restrictive diet. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, this is something that's very important for people to realise that if you're not failing due to a lack of willpower, sure, you, you might follow some programs that are unsustainable and, you know, telling you to cut out certain food groups and foods, which you can't adhere to long term. But what is most important is that you understand that you do have your biology fighting itself and your body is fighting that weight loss. And this is why, you know, a lot of this education does help empower a person so that they can understand why, they've been getting these same results year in, year out, not only themselves, but also the stories they hear from friends, family, and colleagues. The real problem we have is that a lot of these diets, not only do they have, are they backed by big name celebrities and social media sensations, but they're self-validated by that quick instant gratification that people get on the scales. So I go and follow, for example, a, a low carbohydrate type approach. Carbohydrates bind a lot of um, glycogen binds, a lot of body water, um, which means that when you strip them, the number on the scales goes down. So guess what? We celebrate. Sure, there's a lot of other factors going on as to why the, the weight loss is coming quickly and rapidly with such approaches and different diets. But eventually... What we don't talk about and what we don't hear about is the long-term pain that people are suffering from. So they go out, they celebrate the short-term wins, but then slowly they're going to be clawing back. And this is what we're seeing in our hospital clinics. We're seeing people come in and we're seeing the long-term ramifications and repercussions of 
long-term dieting. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, all diets or weight loss programs are bad. Sure, there's definitely better ones and some that achieve some fantastic results long-term. And we can also get into that later on. But what people need to know and equip themselves is with this education so they can appreciate that the short-term fix, the short-term win is not going to help you necessarily with your long-term goals. You're going to have your body fighting itself. And the reason you're failing is due to your biology and these eight well-researched physiological responses that take place the minute you sign up to a diet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I was really interested to learn a bit more about how there's an increased uh, responsiveness to food with um, reduced uh, intake. So it's almost like your cravings go up as you lose more weight. Um, and there's that impairment, I guess, to, to see when you, you're full as well. Can we go into a little bit more detail about why that happens? And is it a phenomenon or is it something that, something that can be explained? Yes, this is, a, this is another fascinating piece of research. Um, it sort of covers a, a few different areas, so I'll keep it as synced as possible. If we think about the appetite regulation system, so remember at the start I said before the 1970s, that sort of crude time point, we, had a very, we did a, a good job at keeping ourselves in a healthy body weight range. That clever wiring system between you know, our stomach, gastrointestinal system and our brain um, acting on the hypothalamus, telling us when and when we shouldn't eat. It worked perfectly fine. But then the environment change, hedonic pathways kicking in, reward what means that you go back for the dessert time and time again. Now, what happens with weight loss is you disturb or you muck up this appetite signaling system. So you lose weight and, you know, that, that hunger hormone, those hunger pangs that everyone talks about, well, that's ghrelin. That's the appetite hormone that's released peripherally acting on the brain, acting on the hypothalamus, telling you to eat. Now, when you lose weight, ghrelin levels go through the roof. This is not a subjective feeling. This is objectively happening. We take blood measures from people. We measure these appetite hormones. And as they lose weight, ghrelin levels go up, telling them to eat more. Now, you also have other appetite hormones working to, um, you know, tell you to basically continue with food as well. You see a suppression of PYY, GLP-1, leptin. You know, basically, they're ones that usually tell you to terminate food consumption. Well, they're suppressed, switched off, so you continue to go back for more and more food. So this is not a subjective feeling. People, when they say, I just feel ravenous when I'm, when I'm dieting, sure, you know, many of them are following very strict, low-energy diets and not enough, um, they're not consuming enough food. But most importantly... They're going to be seeing this change in their appetite signaling system. They're going to be seeing the, the ghrelin levels go through the roof. The hunger pangs um, are going to be experienced, and that's going to make you go back for more and more food. But it also ties into what we briefly talked about um, with the brain activity. So you do see a heightened response of those foods that you cut out with when you diet. So, for example, you sign up to a diet and it tells you to cut out all of those favorite treat foods. Sure, we know we can do this, but we can only do it for a short period of time. And again, that's due to evolution. So we can cut them out usually between four and 12 weeks, um, which is why you typically do see these cute, neatly packaged four, eight, 12-week online weight loss programs because that's how long you can succeed before then giving in to your cravings. Uh, the what-the-hell effect comes in, into play and you end up eating the whole packet of 
uh, in Australia, Tim Tams instead of yeah. just the one Tim Tam. <laughs> so we have penguins here, and I, I just want to say that I much prefer penguins. <laughs> I know that's going to sound really controversial. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get it in there. I didn't want to disrupt your flow. <laughs> For me, it's the Tim Tams. <laughs> so I've lost some weight and, and my appetite's going through the roof. The ghrelin levels are out of control and I'm reaching for the Tim Tams and I'm eating and devouring that whole entire packet. Uh, my brain activity is changing. The emotional response um, uh, to food, you know, all of this is changing within the brain so that you go and seek out high-fat, high-sugar foods. Remember, you switch back the clock tens of thousands of years and that's what we used to seek out, again, in order to survive and procreate. We would seek out the high-sugar, high-fat foods, gorge when they're available, store them, and then go through the motions um, day in, day out. So it's no different. Remember, you've got this evolutionary mismatch, but you can cut them out for a certain period of time that eventually uh, your body is changing it's going to tell you to go back for more and your appetite signaling system um, is, is being disturbed so that your hunger goes through the roof and, and you eat more food inevitably. So you claw back to your start point. And that's the real sad part about it. Your body thinks it's working in favor or working for you, but it's working against you. It's the real reason why we're, we're, we're struggling long term. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it, there's so many fascinating um, snippets of this, you know, that I, I've learned as well along my journey. You, the fact that your your body fights the weight loss um, and, you know, pe people aren't failing. It's, it's how we've been designed. Uh, and there is this sort of biology, a biological imperative, I, I guess, to, to regain that weight um, because it's a protective mechanism. Um, and, and that's why I always like to use that sort of evolutionary lens whenever we talk about weight or health or, you know, nutritional medicine and, and, and all different aspects, because it is, it's super important to understand why we get ourselves into, into different situations. Yes, it's, it's um, something for a long time, I guess. We have, as, as a, you know, across the globe, have always thought that we just keep failing because of that lack of willpower. Um, and, you know, the dieting industry do a very good job at sort of um, selling that as well. But like we're describing, it, it is due to your biology and it, it's something that's outside of your control. Um, but there is no point in fighting it. You fight it and it's going to win and it's going to win every single time. And this is why you keep seeing the same results week in, week out year in, year out, and why you're in the same position you've been in for the last couple of years, tens, decade, whatever it might be. Um, but, yeah, you know, be empowered that it's, it's, it's not definitely not your fault. Um, you can regain control of your health and weight, but you need to understand how your body works. It's quite fascinating. It's a, it's a marvellous, um, I guess, bodily system and, and the way it works to protect itself against weight loss is, is really just that. It is remarkable. And I guess the, the point to um, highlight there is that it's not always related to these extreme weight losses. We know that a clinically significant amount of weight lost, about three kilos, 5% of your body weight, is when your body starts to fight itself. That's when your body starts to work differently. It's a very small amount. 
So it's not the, you know, the biggest loser contestants where they're losing the 20, 30, 40, 50 plus kilos. Um, we're seeing patients in our clinics that only have to lose a couple of kilos. And then we've got patients that are 200 kilos plus at least have to lose a significant amount of weight. So for everyone, it, it's just a small amount of weight loss when your body starts to fight itself. And when that happens, you've got no chance of fighting it. I wanted to come back to that actually about how, what we can learn from people at different stages, I guess, on their weight loss journey um, and, and how relevant this is for perhaps someone who's looking to lose a smaller amount of weight. But I, I, I guess I just want to come back to the sort of um, the treatments that right now we understand a lot more about the physiology behind obesity. There are some fantastic pharmaceuticals now that are targeting particular hormones that have gone out of whack for various reasons but the, the, there's also some research that you've been privy to about how we should be approaching food uh, and energy balance um, to create sustainable weight loss changes can can you talk about um, some of the, the sort of things that uh, you've been talking about in your programs yes yeah, so when we talk about um, weight loss or you know struggling with weight the first line um, treatment, first-line therapy, is always lifestyle intervention. For all of the patients we see and, um, you know, in the general community, it's following a lifestyle program where diet plays a significant um, role. Now, we also know that most people are out there self-directing or going on these self-directed weight loss journeys um, and that's why it's about guiding them towards evidence-based care. And like you said, sure, across the spectrum, there are different treatments for different stages. Um, but most importantly, from a cost-effective point of view, less invasive point of view, and achieving long-term outcomes, you can do that with lifestyle intervention. Uh, and diet, like I mentioned, does play a significant role. So we're lucky that we also test not only what's happening within a person's body when they lose weight, but we're trying to, um, you know, implement new techniques, new treatments programs to help people overcome this physiological response. Remember, this is what we want to switch off. We want to prevent a person's biology kicking into gear so that they don't have this situation where they just keep going back to their start point. Uh, and what we've, been doing is actually putting people through a program using intermittent energy restriction or an interval weight loss approach. Now, I'm going to firstly say that this has got nothing to do with intermittent fasting. So do not get confused, listeners. I will clear it up. It's got nothing to do with intermittent fasting. Um, now, with interval weight loss, what you do is you get a person to lose weight in intervals. So approximately a couple of kilos over the course of a month before then maintaining weight during the next month and then allowing them to go on and lose weight again during the third month, maintenance for the fourth month, weight loss, maintenance, et cetera. So it's like a step down approach. Now you might be wondering why those maintenance blocks or why are we getting people to lose weight in four week intervals? Because that rest period prevents your biology coming into play. It prevents these physiological responses. So we don't see the decrease in metabolism or metabolic rate. We don't see that increase in ghrelin or 
change in appetite hormone signaling system telling you to eat more. It allows a person then consequently to redefine their set point at intervals along the way. The hardest thing for a person, hardest thing for a patient to comprehend is that, wow, that just seems so long and, and so slow. Yeah. But, you know, with RCTs, using this, this approach, you do get an 11 kilo weight loss over a year. And then wow. importantly, preventing a lot of that weight regain that you see with diets. So traditional calorie restriction, um, traditional diets, you know, they might achieve anywhere between sort of three and six kilos over a year, but then you follow them up and they're sort of back at one or two kilos at two years. So we're getting a, a, a better weight loss um, efficacy at, at one year, but then prolonging and preventing that weight regain. So it's about educating a person on the long-term um, you know, picture and saying, hey, in 12 months' time, you'll be at this weight, maybe already achieved your goal um, or whatever that might be that you're working towards. And the other challenge is saying that if you continue with weight loss during those maintenance breaks, you're only going to get the same result you always got, and that is that weight loss followed by the weight regain. Because once you go beyond the three kilo, remember, rough, roughly three kilo mark, that's when you start to see your physiology um, kicking into gear or coming into play. So it's about losing weight in intervals, roughly two kilos every second month. Why? Because of the clinical response. Remember, that's when we see that change over three kilos, but also because 0.5 kilos of weight loss per week is easy and achievable to achieve for most people. Most people don't have a problem or difficulty losing weight. The real difficulty is, remember, the, the weight regain. So, yeah, this is, this is very um, promising and, and it's, it's addressing really what we really need to address and that's that biological imperative, as you said, to regain weight because otherwise people are just going to continue to get the same old um, results, the same old stories will come out and we're only driving up the obesity epidemic um, and, and that dieting is only contributing to the very problems proclaiming to solve. So we've got to... Um, move to new treatments when it comes to overweight and obesity, lifestyle interventions, first-line therapy, diet plays a big role. Sure, it's a big part of the interval weight loss program, but it's not the only part. There is also exercise, sleep, but it does help a person overcome that food addiction and teach them how you can implement a lifestyle that's easy and sustainable. Yeah, yeah. You know, it makes so much sense when, you know, having had this conversation about, the propensity towards regaining of weight after you've essentially shocked your body, changed uh, your endocrine system such that it feels like it needs it's in starvation mode essentially. And you know, I was, I was really shocked to to hear how little weight you need to lose in a in a in a defined period of time for it to kick in those different mechanisms which change your set point. And so this gradual stepwise approach of losing weight and then maintaining and then losing weight and then maintaining it makes a lot more sense to me now and i think just you know for the listeners it's almost like a set of stairs and you see it going down and the fact that 
you, you've, you've pulled up on the fact that I think the, the biggest challenge is the fact that people have to be patient when we live in a, a world and an industry which is predicated on instant gratification. You know, January in, in the UK at least or in the Northern Hemisphere, it's like you've got to start your diet, you've got to get beach ready. You know, it's a, you can understand why, why it's not palatable for a lot of people, but, but, the, but there is science behind it. Yeah, you're, um, you're totally right. I mean, we all want the quick fix, right? We let our health go by the wayside. It's the bottom of the priority list, the, the five, the 10 years or whatever it might pass. And then you've stacked on that weight and then you react and then you keep reacting and going through the motions, driving up your set point. So we've, we've got to yeah, definitely empower people with this education so they can understand what's going on and then get them to set goals aside from weight. So it's got to be focused around health. And most people that have a weight problem, sadly, will also be experiencing other metabolic um, disturbances. It could be, you know, high cholesterol level, high blood pressure. You might be pre have pre-diabetes, high blood sugar level. So it's about reframing um, your focus and saying, hey, I want to be, uh, um, if you're your dad, you could be saying, hey, I want to be a, a healthy um, father so I can see my kids grow old. Take that focus off weight because... If you do that, um, you're going to achieve not only your health goals from day one with, with this approach, but secondly, you're going to see weight loss as a side effect anyway. That is what is the most important thing, setting a long-term goal. Sure, you can go and sign up to the latest and greatest diet and do that time and time again, but really down the track, you're going to be in a worse off position. Science has proven this. Um, it, there's no questioning this and it's now getting people to move towards um, evidence-based treatment so they can, you know, regain control and, and, and see themselves um, at, at that position they want to be. And it's not necessarily getting to what we clinically diagnose as the normal healthy weight range. If you can lose a significant, clinically significant amount of weight and keep that off, you're going to reduce your risk of all of these diseases we're talking about um, and you're going to yeah, lead a longer and healthier, happier life. This um, cycling through uh, energy restriction that you guys have, have called interval weight loss, is this something that, because I'm really excited about this as a, as, a, as a potential for healthcare systems across the world, have you trialed this mechanism of interval weight loss in different countries outside of Australia thus far? So we've done, we're doing a lot in, in Australia, obviously, um, but I have seen groups in Canada using using a similar um, approach. So it's very promising, and we're also doing it now outside the overweight and obesity um, population groups. Also with athletes, because remember they also go through um, different challenges. It's maybe it's meeting meeting weight uh, for certain sports. But the weight cycling that comes with that obviously has its own set of issues. So it's about helping them get to that um, weight class, but in a healthy and sustainable way. So we're doing it beyond, yeah, I guess, that traditional um, approach. And, yes, it, it's, it, it does offer promise much greater than, than just weight management for those that are um, overweight or have obesity. Yeah, I didn't even think about the wider applications of this actually towards sport, because um, uh, you know you always hear about UFC fighters and and everyone else sort of like jumping weight classes, and and now when you understand like what could actually be going on at a biological level, 
like how on earth are they <laughs> where they do train quite a bit and they have everything like measured i guess yeah but a lot of elite athletes have serious long-term challenges with their weight um you know they're, they're often the people that are that are coming forward and and have a, a huge problem um, when they give up that elite sport they retire sure they're not doing the same amount of physical output um their food habits may have changed um, but still they're out there struggling and they're trying different weight loss programs and diets and getting the same response as everyone else. Uh, and to put it into perspective, because you mentioned January, you know, we all sort of get really excited at January. It's the, the time to get the summer body and, and, and whatnot. Um, and we go and we, we see basically this huge sign-up boom of the dieting industry, gym memberships at this time of the year, but people only stick to it for about 14 days. Uh, and what is also fascinating is this, this report that comes out from uh, the US each year where they try and guide people towards evidence-based care before they sign up. They get a group of leading experts around a table and they're presented with the evidence. They review each diet according to the science behind them. And they use an objective scoring matrix and basically each of these diets have star ratings now, all those diets we're talking about at the moment, you know, the intermittent fastings, the ketos, all of these ones, they're the ones appearing down the bottom for the report in 2021. And again, it's just due to that sort of validation through friends and family and colleagues and that short-term win they're getting on the scales. Um, the science just doesn't match up when you look at the long-term um, research and they're just achieving the same results that we achieve with everything else. They, they still work short-term. Yes, we're not debating that. But long-term, whether it's a few months later or a few years later, people are back where they started. Yeah, there's, there's so much psychology in this, you know, and it just reminds me of the book, um, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow by uh, Avos Tversky and, and Dan Kahneman, because we're drawn more to the narrative rather than the evidence. Uh, and when it's... Yeah, is that is that typical example of oh, what car should I buy? Well, I should buy a Volvo because I've done all this research. But then my mate said he had a Volvo and it broke down three times in a year. I probably don't want to go for a Volvo now, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So it's you know it's tapping into that that culture and that narrative to to actually make sure that interval weight loss is you know is almost like the go to. Yeah, and eventually it will become that. But it's about breaking down this is. I guess, societal pressure to go and do something because somebody else is doing it or exactly. someone else yeah. is buying it, like you said. Yeah. And that, that's really how these diets just generate mass momentum. Um, it, it's about jumping outside of, of that square and, and, you know, I guess blocking out all this noise, conflicting, misleading information, instilling um, and educating yourself with the right information and then setting those goals that are focused on health. Um, and what I will say with that too is that if you've been on a long-term dieting or weight loss journey and thinking about what we've been describing, well, look, you have damaged your metabolism. You have damaged your appetite signaling system. You have damaged all of these physiological um, you know, reactions that take place through dieting. So when someone says, you know, a patient comes in and says, hey, I just can't lose weight because... I have a sluggish metabolism um, or my thyroid function suppressed. Well, look, this is very likely because your body becomes so good at shutting down. When you go and sign up for that next diet, it becomes even harder to lose weight. And then it becomes harder again 
and harder again. And people get to this point where eventually their body just says enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. I'm very good at eliminating this stress and shutting down before you even allow me to lose any weight. So what we do is also struggle with interval weight loss is people have been on this dieting escapade. They come in, they don't see the instant gratification. Sure, they see the health improvements from day one, but they don't always want to know about that. Yeah. They see yeah. the reductions in cholesterol, the improvements in blood sugar, et cetera, et cetera, but they want to see the change in the number on the scales. Yeah. Now, eventually that's going to come, and it does come, but sometimes it takes a person a few months for their metabolism to restore, for the appetite signaling system to start working again, and eventually they start to see that weight loss they're looking for. So, again, it's about taking that focus away from the number on the scales, realising and appreciating that, yes, you may have done some damage through dieting, but it, you can restore that uh, equilibrium and that homeostasis and you can still regain control of your health and your weight. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this specifically because um, you know one of my questions was whether, and I think you've answered that throughout the podcast, but whether this is a, uh, a solution for those who have broken through that quite high threshold of, um, uh, of uh, obesity above a certain level um, and whether this is something that we can learn from the extremes or whether this is applicable to someone who is on the, um, the latter, uh, well, in the higher end of a, an overweight BMI. Um, and, and it seems as if, you know, this is something that affects everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So remember that the first line of treatment should always be lifestyle therapy. And when people say that I've tried lifestyle therapy i've tried diets that haven't been following evidence-based care and that's why they've been failing so when you can get them this information and regardless of the starting weight it could be the the 80 kilos it could be the 150 it could be the 200 plus they can still achieve their goals and they're going to get that clinically clinically significant weight loss each year as they're progressing towards their end goal some only have a couple of kilos to lose. It'll only take them a few months. Others have the 10, 20, 50 plus kilos. It just means you're following the weight loss months of the interval weight loss program forever. This is not a program that just leaves you in the lurch. You get to the end of your 12 weeks and you get your completion certificate and party with your friends and then see your body fight the weight loss. This is something, obviously, you implement these six principles of the plan day in, day out. But when you hit your, your goal weight, you're not going to have the body fighting itself. And you don't need to continue with the weight loss months. You just continue on with weight, the principles, the weight maintenance. So I guess, yes, answering question, it's, it's definitely relevant for all because most of the time people haven't been following evidence-based care. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I, I got a message from a, a whole bunch of people after I did the the last uh, weight podcast that went out and and one of them was um uh, i've anonymized her but she she said hi i was hoping if you could point me in the right direction i've just been reading your post about the latest podcast i'm 42 completely miserable about my weight i'm two stone over and no matter what i do i can't even lose a pound i actually think there's something wrong with me and she goes on to talk about how this is obviously having an impact on her emotionally um and uh and and where to get help and i, I think it's you know, when I think about weight, yes, I think it's important to think about the extremes and how we help um, those people caught in in that in in that around that issue of of extreme weight um, uh, gain. 
but I, I think there's a there's an underbelly of people who are sort of tipping into that pre-diabetic morbidly obese uh, range that we need to protect particularly in the nhs here 100 percent, and um you know this is this is a very typical uh sort of story that we're getting as well one that they're describing they can't lose weight anymore i suspect they've tried numerous different things and you know he's always full kudos to them because they're out there and they're trying there's it's, that is not the problem um, they're going back and trying the same programs t- time in, time out, but then they just think they're failing due to that l- lack of willpower. Uh, so, yes, it, it, there's a, a really big piece of the puzzle that we need to, to fill here with education too around those people that only have a few kilos to lose mm-hmm. um, that are at the other sort of the normal to overweight end of that spectrum. Remember, we've also got this other story going on um, in terms of the young population, Okay, buying into, um, again, this distorted uh, body image story and dieting themselves heavier and heavier. So it's sort of now widespread. Um, it's from young through to uh, definitely, you know, mid-age because after and later on in life, you typically see a little bit of a weight decrease um, anyway and it could be protective against certain disease and and death but yes that is an important part of the puzzle that we need to be able to complete so that people can prevent getting to the stage where they're completely out of control because otherwise they will end up at that point plus they're wasting so much time and effort and money on all of these different approaches that aren't going to going to help them they're miserable they've got this poor relationship with food they've lost interest in so many different things you know, health and, and, and lifestyle, all of these things, food is there to enjoy. Um, and I guess a lot of this information that's, that we're getting told day in, day out has, has led us to believe that, you know, what is there now, what is there hope for? Um, and, yes, certain foods are bad for me. I should stay clear of them, but a lot of it is nonsense. It's misleading and it, you've got to sort of block that out and, and, and move forward. Epic. Well, that's uh, I. It, it's been fantastic chatting to you, Nick, uh, and uh, I can't wait to share a coffee and uh, begrudgingly a Tim Tam uh, next time I come to Australia. <laughs> yeah, likewise, likewise. I, you know, I love love your work. I'm a big fan of, of your podcasts. It's a it's a real pleasure to be on, um, and and I hope you know through this, the listeners are educated um, and and can sort of make some inform decisions now and, and realize that, look, dieting can do a lot of harm. Um, you can, you're going to shut down your body's physiology, but you can restore that damage and you need to follow evidence-based care. You can jump online and, and there's plenty of materials um, on this interval weight loss program. So you can start to educate yourself, learn these six principles because, yeah, look, you may not have to tackle all of them, most of us, you know, in that sort of six simple steps is something that's out of whack. It could be the food addiction. It could be the lack of exercise. It could be the poor sleep. And it's about implementing and giving you, equipping you with tools so you can uh, make this part of your day-to-day life. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we didn't even get a chance to talk about all the other uh, determinants like sleep and exercise uh, to, to weight maintenance. But I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, we'll try and get you back on the pod at some point in the future. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, Nick. And uh, uh, yeah, no, love the work. Love your work and the, the, the feelings mutual. Thanks, Rufy. Appreciate it greatly and look forward to that coffee in Tim Tam. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. You can find out more about interval weight loss on Dr. Nick Fuller's website, the details of which are all under doctorskitchen.com forward slash podcast show notes page. Please do check out my guest's work and the references to some of the articles and academic literature that we've referred to during today's podcast uh, is going to be found there as well. If you wanted to do a bit more of a deep dive into those eight different physiological mechanisms behind obesity, I really, truly hope that this podcast was educational useful motivating and empowering regardless of whether you're on a weight loss journey or not i really do hope it enables everyone to better understand obesity such that we become less judgmental about it and a lot more empathic about people's journeys thank you so much and i will see you here next time When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.